Tyrese Halliburton may be back tonight. The 65 game rule hangs over him. What was the deal with his injury? Plus, Pascal Siakam talks about his future. James Johnson, another 10-day Celtics on TNT for the Pacers. So much to talk about on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Tuesday, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Big news day, multiple, really, for the Pacers the last couple days. James Johnson signed to another contract. Tyrese Halliburton got to practice and says he plans to play Tuesday. Pascal Siakam talked about unrestricted free agency. There's a big 65 game rule that matters a lot for Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers and their future. And the Pacers play the Celtics, the best team in the league tonight on TNT. That is all big stuff coming for the Pacers in now and right now. Let's start with Tyrese Halliburton. There was a lot of juice to to his injury, not just because of him coming back and then going out again and not just because of him missing games and the Pacers doing better to survive it. But this 65 game rule that impacts his availability and his money and all sorts of stuff that's really important for the Pacers and Tyrese Halberton going forward. So let's start with the good stuff, the good news, the not scary stuff for the Pacers. Tyrese Halberton says if he wakes up feeling good Tuesday, he will be back and playing in the Celtics game a while ago when he originally got hurt. And the reevaluation date was set to become after the road trip, which obviously he came back faster than that. My original prediction was he would be back for this game in some way. It's on TNT. He loves playing on the road, national television. He was going to be ready for it in my head. We'll see if he actually is. So one thing that I want to start with is actually now that his absence is over, reflecting on what just happened. The Pacers played 10 out of 11 without him. And it actually went okay, which is much better than they could have said last year, right? They won five of those games. They won six of those games. Excuse me. I'm doing terrible math. They beat the Wizards. They beat the Hawks. They beat the Kings, Sixers, Suns, and Grizzlies with losses to Denver, Phoenix, Utah, Denver again. And then the Portland game he played in. So really they're six and five in their last 11 with Tyrese Halbert playing one of those games. And they lost that one, right? Now, they had some losses without Halliburton before that stretch. I believe they're one game over 500 now without him which all, this season, which already shows a lot of growth for the Pacers from last season to this season. That's huge, potentially, for their long-term outlook this season. The 4-5 and five season in the East are running away with it, but the Magic are skidding. The Heat have lost like seven in a row. If the Pacers come back and look pretty dang good with Halliburton and Siakam, the sixth seed is, is right there. It's right there for them to potentially take, and they've earned it. And this stretch without him and surviving this January was a big part of that. Numerically, I think you see the growth of the Pacers as a team without him just from net ratings, right? Like I talked uh, right before, when he got hurt, I talked about this. But this season with Halbert on the floor, Pacers have a plus 5.9 net rating. That's fantastic, right? That's really good. That's normal for stars. Last year, that number was minus 1.02, right? That's still fine. They, there was a reason they were about a 500 team. When he played, I think they were exactly 500 when he played last year. Last year with Halburn off the floor, their net rating was minus 4.8. This year, that number is minus 2.4. So half is bad, right? Still negative, but much better. And that was pre that includes pre-Siakam trade numbers. So 
That is that still seems funny to say an improvement. It's still negative their net rating with him off the floor, but it's so much better that especially when they know he's out for the game and they can plan a little differently. You know, that's credible. That's good enough to not be an embarrassing team that loses six, seven, eight games in a row the second he gets hurt. So that was big for the Pacers. That was big for them to survive it. Now he is set to return. We got to talk to him at practice today. I think the first thing people had questions about with Halliburton returning was the Portland game that he returned in and then missed the next five <laughs> once again. You know, was it a setback? Was it too early? You know, they didn't say it was a setback. They said it just didn't respond the right way. Um, Halliburton said of that Portland game, I asked him about it. He said throughout that game, there was some soreness. And then he said, to my knowledge, I couldn't make it worse by playing, which is why he was comfortable playing so much and grimacing through the pain, but it was still bugging him after the game. And that response of it bugging him after the game was what prompted the Pacers to go back to being more cautious and kind of going back to as Halliburton called it square one. So... I kind of, if they're, if he called it square one, I would kind of call it a setback, but it's hard to, I think it could just be that he should, I, I don't know. I can't, I'm not a medical guy. I can't explain this at all, but you know, I think he probably thought he could play pain-free and he maybe couldn't. And then they realized they needed to, you know, reassess, but that is just, you know, my interpretation of what, how he's talking about it and all that sort of stuff. So that was the deal. Uh, with that game, Rick Carlisle said, if all goes well and he feels good, then tomorrow's in the picture. Uh, Halburn did scrimmage for 20 minutes before the practice. It wasn't like a hardcore, serious practice or anything. So it's feeling uh, likely that he will be playing Tuesday, first game, second game, excuse me, with Pascal Siakam. Pacers playing a little better. Would be a huge win for the Pacers. They could go 3-2 and two against the Celtics. We'll talk about the Celtics a lot later. So that's the whole timeline of events. He feels better earlier than he thought. He says so on a broadcast. He plays maybe earlier than he should have a little bit. Didn't like the reaction to it. Has to miss five more games. And this is now where the Pacers are. And now the new topic that comes from Tyrese Halliburton's injury is can he play 65 games this season? Can he make enough court time to get all NBA? For those unaware of why I am discussing this, there's a new rule... Uh, this year, it baked into the CBA that a player must play 65 games in a season to be eligible for MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and All-NBA teams, um, which is noteworthy for a couple reasons. One, because that's a lot of games, but the, you know the NBA is trying to encourage guys to play, and I get that, but two, because in a couple players' cases, guys fighting for the Supermax, guys fighting for designated rookie rules, getting All-NBA is is big for your contract and making more money. And Tyrese Halliburton is one of those guys where if he makes All-NBA, he makes way more money on his next contract. And he gets one shot at it. He has to make All-NBA this season to get that bump in his contract. So he, playing 65 games is great. He said it after practice. That he thinks that rule is stupid. I also think that rule is stupid um, because injuries happen. They should not punish you that bad if you're that much better than other guys. Even if Embiid at miss his time, which I think he's missed enough now that he's probably not MVP, but whatever. If he misses more, like he, and he's still clearly the best player he should win, he'll also be impacted by this. So what does this mean for Tyrese Halburn? He has to play at least 65 games to be eligible for All-NBA, which would then make him eligible to, or would then, uh, if he makes it, would make him able to make 30% of the cap starting next year instead of 25. A big deal for him and his money. Uh, so he would like to play 65 games. He has already missed now 13 just straight up missed the game. 
to play in 65, the most you can miss is 17. But that's not where this stops. This isn't just you have to play in 65 games. Really, the rule is you have to play at least 15 minutes in the game for it to count as a game. There are some minor exceptions to that. Tyrese Halliburton, in the game he got hurt against the Celtics, played 13 and a half minutes. So that actually doesn't count. So he's technically, in the eyes of the CBA, missed 14 games this season, meaning he has three more absences allowed before he is no longer able to make All-NBA. His contract would then be smaller on his next deal, which would not necessarily match the production he provides the Pacers. At this time, he is, of course, incentivized to play uh, in these games because of that, and it's really fascinating to see. You can only miss three more, and if you're, like, for example, if you're the Pacers and you're trying to see how his hamstring responds to playing, right? Let's say he plays Tuesday. Well, they have a back-to-back Thursday, Friday, right? Can they rush him right back into playing a back-to-back? He's going to want to. He should want to, right? So it's kind of a weird push and pull that's created by this rule. It's not tension. Like, I don't think anybody hates each other, but everybody understands the dynamics at play. Just this weird push and pull of factors that doesn't make a lot of sense. I was trying to read about the exceptions to the 65-game rule. Like, if you have a an injury that's going to keep you out for the season, you can play like 62, but Halliburton's not out for the year, and all sorts of other stuff. There are ways you can challenge your eligibility. One of them is on the basis that your team held you out on purpose to keep you under that threshold. That is obviously not happening, so that's stupid. The other one is called the Extraordinary Circumstance Challenge. Funnily enough, there's nothing in that section about injuries. That said, it feels like the spirit of a basketball injury would not count as an extraordinary circumstance by the NBA. I would think that the injuries that that clause covered would be like Kelly Oubre getting you know, getting hit by a car or whatever it was earlier this season. I don't know any of this. This is just like the legal interpretation and the human interpretation are probably different on something like this. I haven't been able to get any clarity on it. But either way, I don't think that just getting standard in a basketball game injured would count for that challenge. So Tyrese Halbert incentivized to play 65, certainly. And of course, the Pacers would like him to play as much as possible, right? They're better when he plays. So we'll see how those dynamics work out. But he's three missed games away now, right? He can miss three more, and then anyone after that is a problem. I think the rule's dumb. <laughs> you know, I get that they want guys to play and not rest, and maybe some guys were, but I mean, that's a lot of, you know, guys get hurt. Like, they should not be penalized for that more than they already are with their team getting hurt. We'll see. TNT tonight, Tyrese Halliburton possibly. Probably and possibly are two different words, Tony. Uh, Possibly playing. Should be very fun to see him play again. Should be very fun to see him potentially playing with Pascal Siakam. And speaking of Pascal Siakam, he talked a little bit about free agency last week. Shout out to James Boyer from The Athletic for getting the questions. And on a day that Pascal Siakam alluded to Indiana feeling a little like home already after their win over the 76ers. Let's talk about those comments and James Johnson signing another 10-day with the Pacers. What does that mean with the trade deadline? And you guessed it, 10 days before we talk about any of that, though. Have to quickly tell you guys about Quiz with three eyes. This episode of Locked on Pacers is brought to you by Quiz. We're going to have fun and test your Pacers knowledge. Who is the Pacers' all-time leader for points in one Game, J.O., Paul George, if you said Reggie Miller just now, you're correct. Quiz with three eyes is the next generation trivia experience with questions just like that. And it's the world's first platform where you can earn money playing knowledge games. For Locked On Pacers fans, they've created NBA quiz games where you can test your knowledge, win real cash, play with friends, play with other fans. Let your knowledge shine all the way to the bank. You can play without downloading a thing. Just go to app.quiz.com. 
That's three eyes in quiz. Start playing today. NBA quiz, the ultimate knowledge challenge for fans that live and breathe basketball. Go to app.quiz.com to test your knowledge and win cash today. That's quiz with three eyes, just like a three-pointer. Play now, showcase your skills, and take home cash prizes on app.quiz.com where fans become champions. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Please hop on over to Lockdown NBA. Why? Because I was on it talking about everything uh, that happened in the NBA last night. So many crazy good games around the league Monday night. So many interesting storylines going on in this league right now. Pascal Siakam. Unrestricted free agent this summer. Part of this trade discussed. Yes, Pacers are better now. If they can keep him long-term, even better. If they have to pay him a lot, it's different. We'll see. But there's a lot to this still. And, of course, re-signing him is now the biggest story of Pacers free agency. So, imagine uh, the many surprises when after the Pacers beat the Sixers last Thursday, Pascal Siakam saying on Bally Sports Indiana, I appreciate every single fan out there, every single supporter. Again, I want to make this home. That's his first, at least with me around. I think Dustin Dopierak asked him about this in Portland, but the comments I heard of him talking about his future with the Pacers. Um, and then, in because he said that, now that opens him up for questions about that sort of topic uh, in the postgame press conference, right? So, those came from James Boyd of The Athletic, thankfully, who found a good way to segue those questions into asking him about his future. So James asking, what makes Indiana feel like somewhere that he can be long-term? Pascal Siakam saying, quote, I think for me, I love the team. Talking with Ty, all those guys, from JJ to Ty, all those guys have been awesome. Front office has been awesome. That's all you can really ask for as a player, to go to a place where from the fan base to the equipment manager, there's so much respect and love and appreciation. It just feels good. I'm that type of person. If I have a nice house, that's probably the only thing I need. I don't do anything, which I think he meant hobbies there. That was very funny. And he said, having appreciation in a nice house, you've got me, right? So it sure seems like he is fond of what the Pacers situation has been for him so far and just needs a setup that he is happy with and he'll be happy. Uh, and again, my theory from the start has been this. One, the Pacers don't make this trade without feeling really good about their chances to keep him, whether that's him or his agency saying, or whoever, someone saying, yep, if you offer the most money or years, we're signing the dotted line, or yep, we specifically like this situation, or any sort of thing. I'm assuming the Pacers feel good about it, and lots of league insiders have suggested something similar in the past few weeks since the deal. Um, James also asked Pascal about balancing staying in the moment versus thinking about his upcoming decision in free agency. He said, for me, I've always been the person who's focused on the present. I want to be present and I want to take in these moments. Most of the time in my life, everything that really happened in my life, I feel that uh, God's always taking the lead on that. And I always trust that. I just go out there, give my best, give everything that I have. And I think when the moment comes, the right outcome is always going to happen. And he always feels like that is the case for him. So, Sure seems like he is taking a liking to the Pacers. My prediction is now and has been that if the Pacers offer him more than any other team, that he will accept. And perhaps if he feels really good about the situation with the Pacers, that may not even be necessary, right? If, you know, they could get him at a deal that is negotiated or whatever like that. But of course, that is a topic for July. But it is a big deal that, you know, it's less than two weeks since the trade and we already have 
you know, Pascal on the record talking about that, how he feels about it. The it'll be the biggest story of the Pacers summer, right? There will be plenty of conversations to have post Pacers season. But again, my take: if they pay him the most, he stays. He just has to like it enough for that to be reality. Anyways, a transition from a future topic to an actually present topic and another contract thing. Pacers made a signing on Monday, although it was kind of a signing. They signed James Johnson to a second. 10-day contract this season. Uh, the first one was signed on January 19th, so it expired at the end of the 28th, which was Sunday night. So once Sunday became Monday, James Johnson was technically a free agent. It was pretty funny. Uh, Woj tweeted that the Pacers, you know, we're going to sign him to another 10-day. We walk into practice um, for the Pacers on Monday, and the Pacers had yet to announce that he was signing a 10-day, even though it was pretty obvious. And James Johnson was in there shooting threes, right? So it's like, it was pretty clear uh, when I saw him practicing that, yes, he he is on the team. <laughs> he is, he was never a free agent, and I didn't think he was going to be, but um, they signed him to a 10-day. So for the, the curious about this process, right, James Johnson got waived as, so that the, all the, the order of operations could happen for Pascal Siakam to become a Pacer. And then you get paid through the waiver process, right? So James Johnson's contract is paid through that. Then the very day that he clears waivers, the Pacers sign him to a 10-day, which has the same prorated minimum as the standard contract. And then the same day that that 10-day ended, James Johnson gets another one from the Pacers. And this 10-day that he just signed on January 29th will run through February 7th, which is the day before the trade deadline. So if the Pacers wrap up the deadline, they use up their roster spots, they figure it out. If they sign James Johnson again on the 8th, there will be no payment lapses for James Johnson. He will still get paid every single day of this season. And from the start of his first 10-day deal to the end of the season, if there are no day lapses, he will get paid two contracts by the Pacers. Clearly, they really like this guy and they want to keep him around. This is the now the fourth contract, no, fifth. Two last year, now three this year. Fifth contract James Johnson has signed with the Pacers since last September. So that's like 17 months he signed five contracts with the Pacers, and it could get to six. Again, clearly they love him for the locker room presence. Everybody gushes about him. You just heard Pascal Siakam in an answer talk about him, and they've been teammates for two seconds. I think they were teammates in Toronto as well uh, for, a, for a hop and a skip. I'd have to check that. But either way, James Johnson's back on a 10-day with the Pacers. Pacers are over the cap. It's a minimum deal. There's no actual financial ramifications. The reason it's a 10-day is that if he was signed to a contract for the rest of the season, the cap hit would be much more significant, and they could still waive him any time, but they have to eat all that cap hit, whereas if they do these 10-days like this, the cap hit for a 10-day is much smaller and actually ends the second year waived. It doesn't get all to the 10-days. So let's say, I'm not saying the Pacers will do this, but hypothetically, if the Pacers need to make a one-for-three trade... They could do that. They could just wave James Johnson and do that, right? And that is very valuable, whereas, yes, they could do it even if he was on an end-of-season standard deal, but it's more painful. Why make it more painful on yourselves when you don't have to, especially if Johnson and his group are agreeable to the deal? So the 10 days are better. But you can only sign two 10 days with a team, a certain team in one season. He could sign a 10-day with someone else. But uh, with the Pacers, he's now out of them. So once this 10-day is done... They have to sign him to a standard deal. But this way, the financial burden on the Pacers of a trade they love falls into their lap, which is especially relevant because, again, this 10-day takes them right up to the deadline. Then they can easily move their roster around, get the roster spots in order, make the right decisions to make their roster and team as good as possible. Smart stuff. James Johnson sticks with the Pacers. A win for everybody, a small $116,000 cap charge for the Pacers over the course of this deal. Uh, He's missed zero days of payments. I think that's very funny and is in my notes. 
And now their roster's up to 14. So technically, they could sign a second guy to a 10-day, like I guess of you hearing me talk right now today, or really anytime, if they wanted. I don't really see a point to it. Uh, they already have too much depth, right? They're already struggling to get guys' minutes in the front court. I guess if they needed backcourt depth desperately, they could do it. But um, I think they'll stick with their roster at what it is until the trade deadline is done and then reassess what they need or what they even could do at that point at the time. And as you know, if you've been listening to Lockdown Pacers for years, one of the first shows that I do when the trade deadline is done is what moves can the Pacers still make this season, whether that's converting their two ways, whether that's extending the contracts of current guys, whether that's hunting on the buyout market, using their room exception in some way, that you're never really done. There's always some transactions to consider or think about. And so the trade deadline is, of course, significant because it's the easiest time to add significant talent during the season or the time that a lot of those moves happen. But it's not the end, right? So there's still a lot to come. James Johnson's 10-day at least gives the Pacers some flexibility, but I think they really like him. And that's the reason that this is all happening. And he is still now with the Pacers. If you have any questions about that, I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. Lots of dorky cap stuff can be found from me there. Let's wrap up today's show talking about the Celtics Pacers Celtics tonight on TNT. The Pacers' only regular season scheduled game. They obviously ended up having some of the in-season tournament on national TV, playing a very good Celtics team. What to watch for? How can the Pacers win? What's the big deal with all this stuff? We've got plenty to discuss here to close out today's show. But first, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. New Year's was less than a month ago, and around that time, everybody gets obsessed with how to change themselves instead of just expanding what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to do another. Maybe you usually take supplements every morning. Now you want to eat breakfast. Also, therapy can help you find your strengths so you can ditch extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy can help you do all of that. It can help you with positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, empowering you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma. So if you've been thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com dot com slash lockdown nba today to get 10 percent off your first month that's better help com slash lockdown nba we also have to talk about FanDuel. happy super bowl to all who celebrate tons of brock purdy questions for tyrese albert at monday's practice and a FanDuel is the place to celebrate america's number one sports book if you're like me super bowl sunday is about scoring the best seat on the couch baby it's snack time football some bets maybe for you not for me but it is the way to go on the Super Bowl is FanDuel. So many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so, so much more parlays. Their Explore tab, everything fantastic. New customers, join today. You'll get $200. How about that? In bonus bets, if your first bet of $5 or more on FanDuel wins, to get that offer, just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's the best place to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And we're back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Jump on over to Lockdown Celtics. John Corral will have the latest on the Celtics, who got smoked by the Clippers at home last week, but had quite the win earlier tonight for me talking against the um, 
New Orleans Pelicans. I'm leaning forward to try to read the score. I promise I knew who they played. Weird game because the Pels were winning almost the entire game, and the Celtics dominated the second half and got it done late. Uh, they are just a freaking phenomenal team. And this Pelicans game, where they win late, showed a lot of why. Right? I was talking about this with Matt Moore on Lockdown NBA. But one of the Celtics' things is, like, if they make threes, they just beat you. Right? You just have no chance to win because they're so talented, they dominate the little things. So in a game like this, right, let's talk about the scoreboard of, of Celtics-Pels to talk about the upcoming Pacers game. Rebounds, dead even, 40-40. to 40. Turnovers, they were one apart, 12-11. to 11. Fouls, one apart, 14-15. to 15. Offensive rebounds were a little bit in favor of the Pels, but free throws were in favor of the Celtics. So they shot within six shots of each other. They did a lot of the controllables at about the same level. Why did the Celtics win this game in which they were trailing by so much and didn't have any momentum? Because they dominated from three. They made seven more threes than the Pelicans, who took a bunch of mid-range shots, who took a bunch of long twos, and the Celtics were able to win. They didn't have a single 30-point score, but they had three in the 20s, including Drew Holiday, who hasn't really been that guy this year. And without Porzingis, they can win. So what does this show? Well, one, their defense is amazing. They coax you into terrible shots, right? The Pelicans took and missed more long twos in this game than the Celtics attempted at all, right? So that's a big part of the efficiency battle with an already loaded and talented Boston team. And thing two is if they get hot from three, they can beat you at any time. So we've seen with the Pacers this season, I don't need to explain a ton about the Celtics, but we've seen with the Pacers this season that they can beat this team, but it takes a lot of that kind of stuff happening, right? They shot it horribly when they lost to the Celtics in Boston in early November. Now, granted, Halliburton was out that night, but that game was historically bad for the Pacers shooting-wise. I think it was like the lowest threes they've made in a game that took 35 or more ever. They lost by 51, right? Then they play Boston in the in-season tournament, and the Pacers couldn't miss from three. They were 19 for 40 from three, and the Celtics were below 30%. Then they played again twice in early January. First game, Pacers 19% from three Celtics. 39%. Second game, Pacers almost 50% from deep, 19 for 40, and they win that one. Now, the Celtics also shot well that game, but shooting is just so important against Boston because they are going to control everything. They are going to dominate this game. I, I, I know this sounds reductive and lazy to say. They don't, they don't have Porzingis. He might not play Tuesday. They are on a back-to-back. -back. They played some minutes against New Orleans, but uh, further my reductive thing, people talk about the Celtics like this. And I've been guilty of this too. You know, they're the best starting five in basketball, and here's why they're so good. They're top five in offense and defense. And I've said that. That's true. They are top five in offense and defense. Here's why I think that's, that phrasing stinks. Because it doesn't give the Celtics credit. They're top two in offensive rating and defensive rating. They have the second best offense only behind the Pacers, and they have the second best defense only behind the Timberwolves, right? You cannot be sloppy at anything to beat the Celtics. The Pacers beat them. They had to shoot the freaking lights out. No one walks into Boston and Boston throws it all over the gym and shoots in a eh, night from three and defends kind of eh, and then they beat the Celtics. I guess the Clippers were the first team to do it all season. It took 50 games, but that doesn't happen. That has not been a thing the Celtics do. They usually are rock solid on at least one end. They can really score. They get into the paint. They move the ball well. Right? They're just phenomenal on that. And on defense, they have a bunch of rangy wing size guys. Even their guards are that kind of player. They're so freaking good. And so I hate to be reductive, but with how good they are and what we've seen from the blueprint of the Pacers, 
in this season is if the Pacers don't shoot it pretty well from deep, if they're not at at least 37, 38%, they do not have a chance. They have like Siakam can be a guy who can bust up the Celtics a little bit because he is comfortable at the shots they're willing to give up. If he starts hitting them, they have to adjust a little bit. Maybe that changes my tune slightly from what we've seen from Pacers Celtics this season. But to me, the track record, not just against the Pacers, but for Boston against everybody is you have to shoot really well because they might just shoot so well that you lose right away before the game even starts. Strategically, you have already lost the game, right? So I think this one's going to be really tough. For the Pacers, and they will also be integrating the Siakam Halliburton duo, right? They have a lot kind of going on on their end at the same time. So I'm not personally expecting a Pacers win, but this is one of their bigger games this season on national TV against the powerhouse with a lot of and maybe all of their players available. It's a big game for the Pacers. And there'll be lots to cover tomorrow night as we talk about it. So tomorrow's show. Talking Pacers Celtics, what happened, what went right, what went wrong, did the Pacers win or not, we'll see at the time. Wednesday, uh, that will come out on Wednesday. Wednesday, I'm talking with a pretty sweet guest uh, about the trade deadline. And then Thursday, when February starts, you will get a ton of Pacers trade deadline content from someone who knows uh, about trades and the trade deadline very well. Thursday and Friday, we all about games, Knicks, Kings, whatever's going on with the Pacers. Chris Duarte's return to Indy, all sorts of fun stuff. This is going to be a fun week here at the Locked On Pacers podcast, and it all starts with the game tonight, Pacers-Celtics. I can't wait. I hope you cannot either. If I said something dumb today or you have a question or whatever, I'm on Twitter or X at Tony R. East, and this podcast is there at Locked On Pacers. We'll be back tomorrow talking about all the things I said earlier. Also a good way to reach me. Leave a comment on YouTube. I, I missed reading comments today. I didn't even realize until like an hour ago when I was doing Locked On NBA. I apologize. I promise most of the time, and I did read some of them, I read comments on YouTube. Another good way for at least to me to see something you're saying uh, if you need to get a point across or I said something stupid. Anyway, back tomorrow talking Pacers Celtics and plenty more about this Pacers team. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We will see you tomorrow.